Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Micah Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. With that, we're going to jump in. Today I want to talk about something, and I'm calling it the sift and slide. Speaking of, Lamar, good to see you, dude. Love you, dude. Uh, The sift and slide. Now, here's what you got to realize, right? How many of us loved slip and slides growing up? Come on. And everybody who's not raising your hand, you're a liar. <laughs> like, nobody's like, looks at a slip, slip and slide when you're a kid and like, wow, that doesn't look fun. And if you do, you're kind of a Grinch. Anyway, uh, but I like, I love a good slip and slide. And a few years ago, what you guys maybe don't know is that we did, we used to do a, an outreach here called Summer Days. And what we do is we'd rent out a beach. Um, and we rented out uh, Lions Park Beach down there. And it was awesome. Uh, little advertising plug here. If you're ever looking to rent out a beach, it's only like 40 bucks an hour. And if you talk like a used car salesman like me, it's only $10 an hour. So we got that for a few days and it was awesome. Only problem is, fun fact, we rent this beach out. And naturally, one of the days, there's like a chemical thing where you can't even get in the water. So we're like, yeah, we're at the beach, but don't swim. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I remember one year, here's what you got to realize about Lions Park is there's, there's not really a beach, and many of you guys have been there, where you can step down. It's actually a, probably about twice as high as this stage, about this high, and you got to jump down into the water. And so we were out there one day, and a couple of us just decided, what if we just built a ramp and built our own slip and slide and just sent people into the water? Now, great idea, right? Yes. Tell me it's a good idea. No. Uh, and another fun fact, we do everything in-house here, so every billboard, really, that you see around, for the most part, we put up ourselves, and we keep all of them. And so uh, I used to do that as well. Thank you, Ben, for taking that over. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but I will say we keep our billboard tarp. So we've got like a, probably a 30, 40-foot-long tarp with, that's about 15, 20 feet wide. And so what we did is we built a ramp out of sand, sprayed it down with some dish soap, called it a slip and slide, and said, all right, High schoolers and middle schoolers, let's, let's go wild. And we actually have a little video so you guys can get a little picture of what this looks like before I finish my story. Now, here's what you guys don't know. Obviously, there's a drop there. I was the first one to go off this ramp because I would never ask somebody to do something I wouldn't do myself. So I went off the ramp and I ate my shoulder into the gravel bank. So we had to get in the water with shovels and dig out the bank so that kids weren't just beaming themselves into the rock because the water was only about a foot and a half deep there. Don't worry, we keep, your, we keep in mind your kids' health and safety very well here. So I got out of the water. I'm like, my shoulder's hurt. And I'm like, what in the world? I'm bleeding a little. Doesn't show anybody that, tell you that much. And so what's funny is, so our entire first day, we're completely fine. And what do I mean by completely fine? Everybody's just going off this ramp, loving it. It's great. Water's freezing. Who cares? And uh, the next day, here's the thing about this slip and slide, is you needed to have enough speed. You, got it, you had to hit it at a right spot, and you needed to make sure that when you committed, that you committed. But if you were going slow, just roll off and don't go over, because here's the worst thing you can do when going off a ramp. If you don't have enough speed and you're slow at the top, you're not launching, you're rolling. And if it's a four-foot drop and you roll over the top, your face is hitting the ground first. How many of you guys know where I'm going with this? Yeah. 
So the second day, the very first kid that goes, I remember it vividly. He's running and I'm going, he doesn't have enough speed. <laughs> he hits it and I go, he needs to roll off. He needs to get off the thing. Because if he goes over, he's not going out. He's coming straight down on his face. This kid hits the ramp, rolls over, falls, boom, hits his head straight on the ground. And I'm one of those kids where I was, you know, he gets out of the water and he's kind of obviously shaken up and hurting and kind of a little bit. And I, I'm not going to talk too much about him, but he's obviously in some pain. And I was raised in a house where I broke my femur when I was two years old and my mom told me to take a nap. So here's, so here's the deal. You better believe I just pulled little buddy aside. I said, it's all right. You're going to be okay. It's okay. Rub some dirt on it. <laughs> like, I'm, I, it's all right. Pulling story short, his mom picks him up. Two hours later, hey, my son broke his collarbone. <laughs> uh, don't judge me. <laughs> judge me. But what's interesting about that, though, is, is obviously we didn't build the slip and slide on the assumption that we're going to break collarbones on it. We didn't build the slip and slide based off of we want to launch off, bury our shoulder into gravel, and start bleeding. We, don't, we didn't do that, right? We build the slip and slide based off of the assumption of there are controlled variables that allow it to be fun. Controlled variables meaning it's this long, I need to run this fast, I'm going to end up this far, I'm going to go at this speed, and that's what makes it fun. Now, you know what doesn't make a slip and slide fun is when there's non-controllable variables. Meaning that you thought it was going to go one way and it didn't. Hashtag this kid. You know, he thought, okay, this is what it's been looking like, this is, but at the same time it didn't go that way. Doesn't it a little bit feel like 2020? You know, when... When this COVID stuff started, I'm not going to lie, the first week or so of chilling was like, this is kind of nice. And, and you're thinking about the slip and slide like, oh, I'll just, this will be over soon and it'll be fine and we're just riding it out. It'll be okay and we'll have a big party and the church will reopen. And Then it started dragging on a little bit longer. Okay, well, this isn't, these are unexpected. Okay, well, these, this isn't really as controlled as I'd like it to be, but it should get over soon because, you know. And then you start throwing in other things, right? The longer it goes on, then you throw in some of the political stuff. And that's really political. And, and then the pandemic. And then you maybe throw in some of the racial stuff that's going on that's causing all of us to maybe have an awareness or, or look inside and how we're wired and how we function. And all of a sudden, all of these things are blending together. And 2020 doesn't feel like a slip and slide anymore. It feels like it's completely out of control. You know, when I first started, I remember, I'm one of those guys that I love the saying, uh, blessed are the flexible for they're never been out of shape. I, I like a good challenge. I like to stare something in the face that's uncertain and be able to adapt. And, but man, 2020 has kind of changed that definition because the routines... And the certainties and the controllable outcomes and the comforts that maybe I took for granted, they're not there anymore, it feels like. And what's happening, and really what I want to focus on, I changed that word sift and slide because that's what it feels like within this passage of scripture we're going to read is this, is that we're sliding on something, but there's a sifting going on. And that word sifting we're going to focus on for really the entirety of today but it essentially is this uncontrollable environment that we're in, this volatile environment that we're in. 
is really an awareness of, okay, where do we stand when it comes to Jesus? What does it look like for us when it comes to God and when there's uncontrollables, when everything's a little bit sliding? None of us, if I said, hey, you know, how many of us want to are excited for the, the slip and slide that we're on, which is 2020? How many of us are really slipping with God? How many of us are really sliding out of place with us? None of us are going to raise our hand and be like, amen, pastor. But man, it just feels like that for everybody. It does, and, I, and, and it's not a bad thing to be able to say that, but what it is is I think a lot of it needs to come from this place of awareness today, an awareness of what this year means for the church, an awareness for what this year means for spirituality and faith. You know, if you don't have time for God in 2020, I don't think you ever will. But even the very definition of what it means to be a Christian, even the, the identity and the DNA of what we have typically associated with Christianity, whether it's groups, whether it's community, whether it's even for a while we couldn't even have church gatherings, all of these things are rippling through the faith stratosphere. And how are we responding to them? Because I'm telling you this, all throughout Scripture, God has done this, maybe not in this particular type of way, but in other ways, to see where people stood with him. And this year, I'm not going to lie, there's been, it has been crazy, but even some of the heroes of my faith, people who I've looked up to, have failed, have walked away from the Lord. People who've been doing it a lot longer than me, people who had a ton more knowledge and, and a lot more talent and all of these things have walked away from the Lord. And really what it comes down to is why are we doing it? Why are we following Jesus? What does it mean to actually be in relationship with him? And really what it starts with is this passage, and I'm talking about sifting today, and that's a term maybe some of us don't really realize or don't know about, but it's an important one for us to realize and know about. And it starts with this passage of scripture. It's in Luke 22, 31 to 34. It says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. How many of you guys know if Jesus looked at you, showed up flesh and blood and say, hey, just so you know, Satan demanded to have you. I would be like, okay, God, can we maybe start with something a little bit nicer? Like, I know this is a little bit, like, if I'm Peter, I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Okay, Satan demanded to have me. It says this, right? That he may sift you like wheat. Now, here's what you need to realize. You know what sifting is, actually? It's, a, it's an agronomic term back then. They were an agricultural, really, society. And so what they would do is they would pick all of the wheat, and there would be a place of stone, uh, a stone ground or, or, or a threshing floor is another kind of term for it where they would tamp down ground super, super hard, compact it, or would have rock or stone or something that was extremely hard, and they would lay all of the weed out, and they would take a flail, which was essentially like a, a flattened, hard instrument, and they would beat the wheat to literally its ground, uh, most refined form, leave it out, and let the wind blow all the impurities off. So pause, right? When he looks at Peter and says, hey, Satan wants to beat you into the ground until you are broken down to the point that you are so powdery form that he can blow the imperfections off. How many of you guys know Peter? If I'm Peter, I'm like, okay, Jesus, did you have my back on this? Like, I ain't trying to get laid out on a hard surface and beat to a literal powder. I'd rather you just handle this for me. It says this, though. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Pause. 
That phrase, and when you have turned again. If I'm Peter, I'm like, wait a second. I'm happy you prayed for me, but did you just tell me I was going to turn away from you? Hold on. You said Satan was going to sift me. Okay. You said that you were praying for me, which is good. Thank you, Jesus. But then you told me I'm going to turn away and then come back and straight. Hold on, God. I don't, I don't really like this. If I'm Peter, I'm like, Jesus, I've seen you cast out spirits. I've seen you calm storms. I've seen you multiply food. I've seen, I have literally seen a fish get thrown, a fishing hook thrown out, a fish pulled in and gold coins come out of his mouth. I'm pretty sure you can tell the devil to chill out. I don't need sifted. And then listen to this passage, right? Peter, his ever boisterous self says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not, will not crow this day until you deny me three times. So this passage of scripture is referenced in all of the gospels. But in this one, this is the only one I find where Jesus actually gives the reasoning that the devil wanted him and wanted to sift him, lay him out and beat him down to a powder and find out who he is. That sounds like 2020 a little bit, though. Being laid out, beaten down to the finest portions of your humanity, and then assessed, and hopefully the impurities blown away, but assessed truly who you are. See, in this day and age, I pray that we're Peter, his story is interesting because Jesus kind of gives him the whole concept. He essentially says, you're going to be sifted like wheat, you're going to turn, but when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Now, I find it interesting because the character development of Peter, if you don't know, he's the one who stands up at Pentecost, gives really the first altar call where thousands of people are converted, becomes one of the pillar leaders of his day. And his boldness, tenacity, and courage. See, he would deny Jesus to a young teenage girl. And then later on in his life, look at the people who are about to crucify him and say, I want to be crucified upside down for I do not deserve the honor or the respect of being crucified in the same way as the Savior. Isn't that interesting what the sifting did to him? I can't stand up for my Savior to a girl, but I can be crucified upside down. See, that's what the sifting does. It removes the impurities to the point of us recognizing who we are, why we exist, what we want to live for, but it still is painful. The uncontrollable aspects, the places and times where we don't have words to adequately describe what we're going through. We maybe don't have relationships with people who we feel like we can be honest and, and really assess our lives with, but at the same time, sifting really is 2020. Where maybe some of us came in with this high expectation of what we thought Everything was going to go because that's how our culture has been. Controllable. Comfortable. But that's not how this year's been. And I really want to ask ourselves the question, how are we responding to the sifting of this year? How are we responding to being laid out on this hard surface and really being ground down to this point where our imperfections are really being weaned out. Because I'm going to be honest, if we come through this season stronger in our faith, it's going to set us up for life. 
But at the same time, if we don't have time for God in this season, we never will. If God isn't a priority right now when it's hardest, he won't be a priority when it's easiest. And I'm going to tell you this, it's just been so interesting to me to see some of, like I said, people who I've respected, heroes, people who helped in my personal development, who've fallen away from God. Because when it's hardest, you find out who you are. See, it's easy to follow God when the blessings are coming, when the certainties are there, when the comforts abound. But it's a whole nother thing when it feels like you're, you're the weed on the rock just getting beaten down. And so what I want to do is I want to focus on what to do when it feels like we're on a sift and slide. What do we do? Because I think a lot of us, none of, like I said, I'm not going to ask us because we're all in this together. I mean, I know how many people this week were like, are we even going to have church on Sunday? Are we even going to be able to get, we, we get, we're all in this together. But at the same time, for some of us, I really want to ask us the questions, what are we doing in this sift and slide? Because that's what it is. Slip and slides are fun. Sift and slides aren't. But I can tell you this, they could be the greatest thing for your personal development if you allow them to. So what I want to do, right, is I want to give us a couple things. What to do when, we're, when life feels like a sift and slide? The first one, when you don't feel like you're winning, there's such thing as a consolation prize. I am a red-blooded male that likes to win. So when you say the term consolation prize, you have lost me. <laughs> but listen to this passage of scripture, Psalms 94, 19. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolation cheers my soul. Consolation is the comfort received by a person after a loss or disappointment. So I'm going to read this again. When the cares of my heart are many, the comfort that I receive from you after a loss or a disappointment cheers my soul. Does Jesus cheer your soul up? Obviously, Mom, I know that. Right? Because here's the deal. I'm going to be honest. If I were to ask, you know, hey, how many of us feel like we're winning 2020 right now? Like, if you raise your hand, we're going to be like, dang, give us all the secrets right now. Literally now. I mean, this has been a year where it feels like maybe we're not, we're not winning much. But you know what the consolation is? You have time for depth. You have time to evaluate your life. You have time to address weaknesses that maybe have been generational. You have time to work on your marriage. You have time to invest in your family. You have time to get in the word, maybe in a way that you've never had in your life. You have time. And so the consolation, it maybe doesn't feel like you're winning within secular society's terms, but I'm telling you, if you're choosing God and the consolation of what he can do to your soul, you will win. That's right. But man, all we can focus on is what we're losing and what we don't have. What if we focused on what we can have and what we could gain if we gave our time, our energy, and our focus truly to him? And that just seems like such an empty phrase to utter today. Because it's like, well, from the beginning of time, you know, you can read your Bible. You know, you can go to church. You can watch YouTube videos. You know, you can do. But really, what is your, where's your depth at? You know, as this, as this season and as this year has unfolded, where, where's it left you spiritually at? Because I'm going to tell you this, right? This could be a gift to you if you allow yourself to see it that way.
I'm not going to lie. It doesn't, consolations don't feel good with disappointments, with loss. Consolation, if somebody says, hey, you know, you're going to go through this disappointment and loss, but there's going to be a consolation to it. I'm not going to lie. I'm focusing more on disappointment and loss than I am consolation. But in this essence, consolation can be so much more than any disappointment and loss you face. It's just about if you'll see it that way. The second thing is this, right? Be aware of the reverse appetite. Be aware of the reverse appetite. You're never too full to be hungry. What do I mean by this? For, I see this all the time. Before this year, we barely had time for God. Barely. Schedules were packed. Sports were all the time. Working 16 jobs. Then whatever time we did have, we'd try to devote it to our loved ones, which really amounted to only maybe a couple hours a week or a night or two a week or maybe one day a week. We were so full of things that we really didn't have time for God. But there was this thought that was introduced to me in this book I was reading. And it's by a great author. It's called, uh, or it's, the author's name is John Mark Comer. And, um, man, I'm forgetting the name of the book right now. But if you ask me later, I guarantee it'll come to me. Um, I'm like sitting here, I'm like, what is that book? Anyway, y'all, God has a name. Oh, dad's on it. Okay. God has a name. In it, he talked about this idea. With God, the more you consume, the hungrier you become. You never come to God a lot of the times hungry. You come to the God full of life, but searching for something that adds meaning to it. And it was such an interesting thought because I'd never thought about it. In my life, that percentage has changed. When I first started getting into my word and reading, I only felt like it probably 10, maybe 15% of the time. And that's gracious. But over the course of my life, I've realized that percentage has gone up. And right now, I'm going to be honest, it's maybe 60%. Where 60%, I'm like, God, I need you. I want to spend time. The other 40%, God, I don't know if I have time today. God, I don't really know if I have the mental strength today. God, I don't really know if I really want to do this. There, there's a level of that in every single day, this battle I'm facing. But here's the thing, right? That reverse appetite, see... If all we do is focus on God when we're empty, a lot of the times it's too late. Yes. I'm going to say that again. If the only time we God, give God a chance is when we're empty, it's usually because what we're full of has made us sick to our core. And there was actually this video we're going to play here in about two seconds. And it, it was about, uh, they did a study, and it's by a man that I very much respect. His name is John Bevere. And in it, they did a survey and a study on 40,000 people who, and, and their walks with the Lord as it pertained to reading the Bible and spending time with God. And the, the findings were interesting. I want you guys to check it out. There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 uh, uh, general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80. And they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. It, they weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, when we're in the Scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday. That's pastor saying you open your Bible, we hear the message. One time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'll, I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week negligible effect. Now at three times a week, 
there was a blip on the map, like there was a heartbeat. Something happened, again, a heartbeat. Okay. But here was a profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it'd be one, two, th I mean, there'd be a gradual incline right. on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four, something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this what, extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Ang like four times a week in the four Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that, that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith wow. jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's Word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, that's amazing right there. You know, I want to focus on, though, what it started with. Right? So we have, a lot of the times what we focus on is we focus on solutions, not necessarily problems. And so, isn't it interesting, the thought that was introduced, right? Alcoholism, bitterness, anger, pornography, spiritual stagnation. Is it, man, these are all things where, I'm not going to lie, if I asked if anybody's dealing with these, most of us in this room are dealing with one of these things. Do you notice what happens with the percentages, though? And here's the other thing. I find it interesting. I, I saw this video a long time ago, and many of you guys know we rolled out kind of a Bible plan that was really what we felt like streamlined for people to start, and it's one that I do personally, um, and it's on our website. This is a, just a random shout-out for it on Road to Life Church page. You can go to Grow. It's a document you can download and have. And we said, you know, you do three times a week, and it's interesting because we said that, and he actually included getting in your Bible or get, going to church as one of those. So really, that's your four times a week. But what does it start with? It's addressing problems. And how many of you guys know that's such a pastor thing to say, right? Well, do you deal with these things? Read your Bible. <laughs> like, that is like the most Christian thing ever. Like, hey, guys, if you're dealing with this, are you in your word? You meditating on it? I can hear my mom saying that to me right now. Is thy word a lamp to your feet and a light to your path? Like, none of us... <laughs> Yeah, of course it is, Bob. She's like, hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. But, but realistically, man, so, so many of us are dealing with issues that just being in our word, that he's not even talking about like anything crazy, like be in your word, take seven notes, text somebody about what you got, make sure it's an hour long. He's essentially saying four times a week, these are the percentages for 40,000 people. And that you can research. I'll try and find that entire um, study because I'm a huge nerd like that. Uh, but it's just so interesting to me that we as people, we can deal with all of these complexity of issues and not actually take the Bible at face value. Seek first the kingdom and righteousness and all things are added. 
What does it mean to seek the kingdom? What does it mean to seek righteousness? For some of us, that's an ambiguous term that we just do once a week on Sundays. But what if you tried to do it more? See, some of us are feeling like we're sifting and sliding, but a lot of it is just rooted in our behavior patterns. A lot of it's rooted, maybe our uncertainty is rooted in the fact that we're not ever truly rooted in him. And that leads me to this last thought. And it's this, God is more concerned with your long-term character than your short-term happiness. Man, this is our world today. We want short-term happiness. And a lot of the times, it's at the cost of our long-term development. I can't tell you how many young people I talked to. I was talking to somebody this week. Yeah, I'm getting a new Beamer. I'm like, don't you make like 200 bucks a week? Yeah, and I'm going to finance it. Well, what's your interest rate? I don't know, something like 18 or 20. I'm like, I just like throw up in my throat. Like short-term happiness, like Jim's back there. He's like, like, I'm like, dude, that just doesn't sound smart. I don't know, it just does it. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many young people I talk to. Oh, you know, I'm going to do this. You're like, ugh, ugh. What I found is, here's the deal, if I make short-term happiness my priority, I make long-term fulfillment the sacrifice. And some of us, all we ever do is live on short-term happiness and wonder why we're never long-term fulfilled. And God essentially is saying, hey, everything, Peter, I guarantee when Jesus looks at him like, hey, you're going to get sifted, you're going to turn, but don't worry, you'll come back around. I guarantee he's like, that doesn't sound good. That sounds awful, actually. But I'm going to tell you this. That short-term sacrifice, there was a lot of long-term fruit. And some of us, we don't want to sacrifice anything short-term. We don't want to do anything short-term. But I'm going to tell you this. If all we're focused on is short-term happiness and not long-term fulfillment, not long-term character development, you know what character development is? It's hard. You know what character development is? It's spreading your life on the rock and allowing his word to beat the impurities off of you. You know what character development is? It's going to people who you know are stronger and asking for accountability. You know what character development is? It's you assessing your weaknesses and saying, I'm going to be intentional about making them strengths. You know what character development is? It's better for your marriage. It's better for your family. It's better for your your life direction. It's better for you emotionally. See, a lot of us, we've got all these problems, and they're all tied to our character, and we don't want to change, and we wonder why nothing's changing. See, I guarantee at the end of Peter's life, one of his greatest regrets was probably denying Jesus. But it was also one of his greatest lessons. Because I'm telling you this, he never denied him again. See, he maybe denied him one time, but that short-term lesson yielded a lot of long-term fruit. And I pray today that the short-term lesson of 2020 is one that yields fruit in your life. Because if all you're doing is responding to 2020 and not going deep into what you should be doing for your character in 2020, you're missing a great opportunity. The opportunity is here, church, for you to change, for the impurities of your life to be melted off. Will you press into the beating? 
Will you press in to the hard ground? Will you press into what you feel like is just painful uncertainty, brokenness, and, and plans that, you, that are not coming to fruition the way you want? Can you press into it and say, God, I'm here for the sifting. I'm here for the refining. I'm here for you. That's what it means to follow Jesus, not just this year, but every year. And I pray as a church we recognize that. In closing, we're going to throw some questions on the screen because here's the deal. Some of us, this is great character development, right? It's the only time you're ever going to hear me say, pull out your phone and take some notes. Because so often what we do is we just come to church, we sit here, we receive it. If there's one good thing we leave with, great, and then we're out the door. But I really want us to take inventory, and this is for me personally as well. Take inventory of where we are. Assess where we are and say, all right, God, where is it that I need to change? What is it that I need to do to go forward? Because practical is beneficial. Practical is what helps in life. So we're just gonna take a few minutes before we go into worship, and I want us just all to ask ourselves these questions, whether it's on a piece of paper in front of you, on a note on your iPhone, whatever it is, but ask yourself the question and be honest.